Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. So NERS Raspberry Pi Systems version 2.0 has a release candidate out. Uh, the biggest change here is that the system now utilizes initRAMFS to load a very minimal root file system before mounting the real root file system. This enables some pre-start checks, right? For example, this means uh, each system now does a simple val- firmware validation check before loading the root FS. And if it fails, uh, it, it will trigger to revert back to the last firmware automatically. Um, this, this helps prevent the infinite boot loops when errors are caused after compilation, but before startup. So such as kernel panics or bad Erlang init configs and, and so on. So uh, this does represent a slight breaking change to existing systems, though, hence the 2.0 major version change. Another item is following on from the previous news that we discussed where Ecto is getting official enum support. Another improvement was added, which is a flag on a schema field definition of redact colon true which is handy for fields that contain sensitive information that you don't want accidentally exposed in your logs. The coming Ecto 3.5 release looks like it will include some very nice improvements, so stay tuned while we will be talking to Mike Bins, who, uh, whose changes we've been discussing, to get a better understanding of what these mean and how we can benefit from them. That's it for the news. Do you know something that we don't know and would like it to be included in our new segment? Tweet us at Thinking Elixir and let us know. Today, we just wanted to have uh, some discussion and commentary around some of the things we see in the broader developer community and in the Elixir community. And specifically, there's been a lot of discussion around front end, back end, uh, you know, single page apps with you know JavaScript. In some minds, there's controversy around Live View. So we just thought we'd just kind of discuss some of these things. Some, how do we think about it? How we approach it? and some of what we've observed, and uh, hopefully that'll be a fun, interesting discussion. And if you have any thoughts on this, please tweet us at Thinking Elixir on Twitter, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So to kick this off, David was talking about a podcast that he listened to on Full Stack Radio, and where they were having this discussion. So maybe you can kind of give us a little recap or idea around what it was you heard there. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was episode 143 at Full, Full Stack Radio, which um, in this case is uh, Adam Wathen's uh, uh, podcast. Uh, great guy. You ought to give it a listen. Uh, and he invited a guest, uh, Rich Harris, on there. Um, Rich Harris, if you if you don't know who that that is, uh, he's a fantastic developer, front-end focused, uh, that uh, helped make um, Svelte. And uh, Svelte, is a, it, their tagline is cybernetically enhanced uh, apps. It's interesting because it's it looks a lot like Vue, as in V-U-E, um, but its goal is really to like kind of compile itself out of your app, which is, I think, a, a, a wonderful attitude to have about it, right? Just just compile, you know, the JavaScript, your templates, and all that kind of stuff, and get out of the way. You know, let the app be the app, and and don't don't try to take too much over it. That's that's my view anyway. Uh, that's how I understand Svelte. So wonderful episode on there. Um, I encourage you guys uh, to, to check it out. Um, it's very, very interesting. But basically the episode uh, in a nutshell is is kind of reviewing the discussion about uh, recently there was articles that were written um, about SPA fatigue. And it's kind of like a, a revival. I've seen this in other places too. It's kind of a revival of 
of appreciating backend technologies that may not be as, you know, as sexy as, as front end, um, frameworks have been in the, in the, you know, in the most recent times. And then, uh, Rich Harris, there, there's a lot of critiques about it, right? Um, this, this article critiques a lot about what, you know, SPAs are about, and it's got a lot of tooling and it's still growing. There's, there's difficult parts, um, to it. And, and Rich Harris has a, a another wonderful response to it uh, in defense of the modern web. Also, very great great article. Um, if you if you end up reading these two articles, I, w- I would encourage you to have an open mind when you um, when you read both of them. And he brings up a lot of uh, a lot of points. Uh, Rich does about what the modern web provides. And, and some of those things are, are, it's very interactive, very, uh, user focused, right? So like when you make, when you click on something on the page, it should interact very, very quickly. You know, it should respond immediately. Um, you know, sometimes I forget that the web is really the, the user interface that people interact with. So you really do have these like very gooey graphical user interface principles that you need to remember. Because you're you're presenting that to the user, that's exactly what they're interacting with, and it's obviously graphical. Um, and a lot of backend developers they tend they might might forget that you know like they stop at creating a link for someone to click on, but they don't think about what happens when they click on you know the user clicks on the link. It might take another two seconds for the next page to load, for example. Uh, whereas front end frameworks have really optimized that that flow better. They'll 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 do a lot of prefetching or caching of previous pages. Um, and so when you click on that, it is immediate that the next page uh, shows up. That's a, 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 in the nutshell, what that episode is about. It's just discussing the views around, you know, front end versus, versus back end. And so I, I was thinking about this because of live view. I've, I've been doing a lot of Phoenix live view development. Um, so before I keep on rambling about that, I, I want to ask you what, what you guys think. What what is the, what is the value that LiveView brings? I would just say some of the value that LiveView adds is you kind of get to stick in the same language, right? If you're not doing anything too intense on the front end, it's nice to just be able to build a LiveView really quick. You're still in Elixir. You don't have to leave that mindset. Um, you're kind of comfortable in the language you're using. Obviously, when you get into more complex things, you need offline, you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for you. But when you're just doing small little interactive additions to an app, it's really easy to reach for live view and get something going really quick. What I think is interesting about live view, I think it's really well positioned because, you know, we like this podcast you're referring to in full stack radio. From what I understand, I haven't listened to it before, uh, like a regular listener of their show, but it sounds like they're not in the Elixir space. It's primarily PHP, which is nothing. The only reason I bring that up is to say Live View is not an option in their space. Yeah. And and so what I think is interesting is we do have that as an option in the Elixir space. And I've been surprised at how often I've heard people say um, either that they think Live View is a distraction or they just don't, they don't get the value. They think it's just like, I think it just comes down to they don't get the value of it at least the way I see the value of it. And so I thought that would just be interesting kind of to, to talk about, to help people see at least what I see as a value, and it may not be applicable to their situation. And that's totally cool. So like Cade mentioned this whole idea of offline mode, right? And like if you're doing a spa and you need offline mode, you know, like 
short, you know, even just like for a minute or two while someone goes through a tunnel and you're not losing data while they're interacting with an app, right? Um, that's, that's a cool feature. But in all of the apps I've ever worked on, I've never needed to write that. You know, and you don't get offline mode for free. You have to engineer the application to work that way. Yeah. So I don't actually know anyone personally who's ever actually done that. But it's often held up as an argument for why live is not a good solution. Right. So for me, in my situation, I don't see that as a reason to say live is not a good option. And I see a lot of business value in live view. And I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. I know, Kate, I know you've done a lot more live view than I have recently. Uh, I've been jumping back into more live view work recently, and I'm having a great time with that. First of all, I'll just get out of the way that if if you're dealing a mobile app, like that's just live view is like, it's maybe an option, but it's, you know, as like a mobile device to be mobile friendly, live view may be an option. But if you're doing a mobile app, you're not even doing live view, right? You're doing either, you know, a front end, it could be React Native, it could be just native, whatever, uh, but you're not doing live view. And I think that's totally fine. So we're talking about the, that case where I have an application and I need to be able to make it more interactive. And I've, I've done Angular, I've done React, I've done Vue.js. And, and I'll tell you, you know, and then with those, I've done REST APIs and I've done GraphQL APIs. And I'll tell you, from ex- my personal experience, my favorite API is the one I don't write, that nobody <laughs> writes, that when there's no API, right? And so like that's server rendered practically, right? Um, but, but LiveView lets me get a lot further towards being interactive and having some of that user experience benefits, but not having to write an API. And when I say API, because there still is like an application programming interface, right? how I talk to my code. I still have an interface there. But I'm talking about I have to take data, extract it from my system in some way, package it into some like JSON or some other kind of form, transmit it over a wire, deserialize it, and then, you know, represent it. Mm, like yeah. that kind of an API where I'm adding that whole other layer of like with GraphQL, I've got resolvers. Like how do I take this request and turn it into a package that I can send down. Or if it's yeah. REST, it's my controllers. How do I turn this into something I can send down and transmit? It requires you to ask and answer a lot more questions that may not be very important to the survival of your app, right? <laughs> right. And yeah. it's like, if I'm a startup, it's like, yeah, that might be important. That might be critical to my app or to, you know, what's a differentiator for me. But for the projects I've worked on and for most of the people I've kind of talked with and know, that's just not what they're doing. And so I think yeah. people are passing up opportunities to look at live view when it could be a big benefit for them. Yeah. So you're saying one of the benefits is it's less boilerplate. Like you don't have to build a whole API just to add some nice front end interactivity for the user. Is that what you're getting at? Yes. But there's other benefits too. Sure. It's, we're just talking about one of them. And you can just you can just use the same contexts that you use everywhere else in your app to get data for your for your live view. That is definitely nice. I think like as you get deeper into it, sometimes it breaks down a little bit. Like sometimes I'm building something that kind of is abstracting two different resources or two different Elixir contexts. 
And all of a sudden, I don't know how to do that. And I have to like kind of build a a change set and a schema like off the cuff just for my live view to kind of like take care of the joining of these couple resources together in this UI. Mm -hmm. And when I first hit into that, it was a little bit awkward. And I was like, what's going on? Like, do I do I need to make another context to do this for me? And then once I did it and wrote out like kind of just like a embedded schema and it is inside of my live view because I don't use it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It was a little, it was, it was a little uncomfortable, but once I got through it, I was like, yeah, this actually kind of makes sense. Cause now I can use all these validations and all the change set mm-hmm. helpers to do yeah. all of my front end validation for me. And then once I get a, then I can kind of pattern match if the change sets valid, then I can go make my changes to the different resources separately and do what I need to do. So I, it gets a little weird there, but and I do think there is a where you have that realization that I do need something and an, an embedded change set is a perfect tool to do that to to say I have some interaction, some data that's being submitted from the front end and you know through live view, and I need to be able to validate it and that that's a perfect way to do it, and I think that's a perfect place to put it is where that's a schema that is specific to that view, so you keep it there uh in that code organization wise keep it located there, but you think about what it would look like if you're doing the same thing where you're pulling data from two different parts of the system and needing to represent them in in a REST controller or a GraphQL, and you're doing the same thing. Like, I still have to validate it all. I still have to pull it all together and come up with some way to represent it. It's just you've removed some of those layers is what I feel like. Yeah. But it, it may be less familiar, especially when you're getting into it. You know, it's like just you can feel uncomfortable. So I'm I'm hearing that we're we're discussing basically forms, right? Which is what like that's the back end developer's like primary interface to the user is forms. <laughs> this yes. is how we get data and re, you know receive it. And and with Live View it allows us to push feedback back to the user quicker than we ever have been before. You know, our I know that the typical workflow with a traditional, you know, get post and um, HTTP response and all that stuff. The, the primary way that we would dis- communicate back to the user interactively is through a flash message or something, right? A little toast. And that's after the page loads. Uh, with Live View, it brings it all much, the, the feedback cycle much quicker. Um, it pushes it right to the same page and you can react to data changes on the back end much quicker. But it's interesting that we're, we're talking about forms, um, because I think that a lot of folks have been using or or thinking of using Live View for purely UI bits, Mm. not a form, right? It's like a drop down. I think that's the wrong thing to do. Um, But I I don't think I don't think it's awful, right? I I love that it gives us the ability to do that um, and very easily. But I don't think that that is the use case for Live View, and and. That that's where JavaScript, I think, really does win there, because again, going back to the discussion on the podcast, uh, the the full stack radio podcast, we're developing closer with with Live View. We're developing closer to the user's uh, interaction, right? So when they click something, they they need that that instant feedback. You know, the the button disables, you get the loading spinner or whatever, um, and. That's why that's why backend has been seen as like old and janky is because it usually is that whole request cycle. And and even even live view, I'm going to use the word copycat, but I mean this in the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> even live view copycats out there, 
they still have this whole request cycle that's happening underneath the covers, right? The, the whole Ajax thing. They're still doing an HTTP request and response and parsing probably a bigger bit of HTML uh, than than what is actually changing on the page. And so that that is small small differences that that are perceptible to the the responsiveness of the of the app of the front end interface, the user interface that the user is interacting with. And that's why I don't think that, like, even Live View, as optimized as it is and over the WebSocket, you know, it is not the right choice for UI interactive elements that don't affect, like, that are that are not reacting to like the data changes. Like fo- forms, definitely Live View all the, all the way, and, and interactive bits. Like if you're streaming a log to your front ends, like obviously Live View, like no no question about it. But drop downs. No, that's not the place to use it. All right, what do you guys think of that? That is interesting. I hadn't really thought of, and maybe I had the wrong mental idea of what people were thinking about when they think of Live View, and maybe that's more of where they're thinking. So, because uh, I know, like, we have some guests that are coming up on the show in the future episodes uh, where we're going to be talking more about some of these interesting ways of integrating things like Alpine JS with Live View, you know, and I think that's a great. A great feature of LiveView is hooks, where you can just say, hey, I have this, you know, there's this, the JavaScript ecosystem is rich. There is a lot there. So we're using the ACE editor, which is a large like code style, you know, highlighting and code kind of editing thing. And we were using that in in, in backend admin section for our page, for our application. And, you know, I'm not going to try and re-implement all of that in LiveView. That's just stupid. Right. So it's like, hey, we're going to use that. And, and we're using hooks to just wire it up to say, here's the data I want you to show. When you're done with your edits, send them back and, and it works awesome. So I, I don't mean to say don't use JavaScript. And I think some people kind of, when they hear live view, they're thinking, oh, it's anti JavaScript. And I don't think that's what we're saying. No, not not at all, and, and and that's that brings me to my my point. I t- I tweeted about this too, but you know I, I got a limited number of of of, of, of followers. But that it, it's it's never. I don't. Th- the, the question is always framed at as as like what sh- you know what should I learn? And and ever everyone says it's going to be JavaScript because it dominates the web. It's true. Um, what you know on the back end? What should I learn? It's like you should learn the most popular language out there. You know Ruby, Java, something like that. And I, I just, I, I hate that question. I just don't like it. It's, it's the wrong question. Like, um, it makes these languages oppose each other. And I, I think that's the wrong way to think about it. Um, and so in the context of like front end versus back end, uh, it's, it's never opposed like that. It's always a partnership, you know, like w- both of these languages are powering this application, right? And, and, and the problem that people have been seeing that came that that constructed this conversation about back end versus front end the problem that they, i think they're really getting at is the space between back end and front end it's not that one is better or 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 worse than the other it's that it's that the space in between it is more difficult and that front end you know can solve it in this way and i really enjoy that or back end can solve it in this way and i really enjoy that too no it the, the problem that people don't like is the space in between it and that's that's exactly what you were saying mark earlier is like now i got to answer all these questions about apis and interfaces and stuff i just don't want to build that <laughs> and so um so my point is 
is that live view, you know, it, it, the tag, I, I hear a lot of folks say that, you know, I don't have to write any JavaScript anymore. I don't think that's, that's really true or reasonable. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I think that the real point there is that live view brings it and it marries the front end to the back end much closer. Like that space in between the front end and the back end is much more small, much smaller. And, and that's the value that I think that live view really brings. And polyglots will always win. You know, if you're only Elixir and you're only, or only JavaScript, I think you're selling yourself short that there's lots of wonderful patterns in a, a variety of languages. And, and so, yeah, like live view is also a JavaScript library, you know, <laughs> like it handles stuff there and you have to write JavaScript for hooks, you know, like you're never going to get away from that. So if you hate JavaScript, sorry, web apps <laughs> probably ain't for you, <laughs> but um, but it is amazing how far you can go with with uh, with live view without even touching um, JavaScript if that's, you know, if, if that's your jam. Anyway, so, yeah, just to sum up, like my point here is like I, I really don't like the discussion around it. I think it's framed poorly. It's front end versus back end. Every language that you work in is going to have fatigue in some in some way. And, and some languages do a good job of of managing their ecosystem and and that's one of the reasons why i like i like elixir like mix you know is, is amazing live view you know the tools that, that it gives is 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 really good like th th we talked about this in other episodes like error messaging with elixir is really good like it just provides really good tools and and patterns anyway yeah one of the things that i i just want to point out are some of the other business benefits i see to live view that I, I think if other people hear it, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's true. But they may not actually be thinking about it as, as being a cost that they currently have. So one of those, like we mentioned, was forms. So if you're having like a separate front end, sometimes I've seen a lot of where you have duplication of logic in the front end around validation and displaying errors and things like that. I've also seen there's a big cost to testing because on all the JavaScript projects I've worked on, People just kind of like, you know, we just don't test, right? Because it's so hard. It is so hard to do front-end JavaScript tests because either your tests are like very component-focused and they're not very meaningful because if your components are designed right, they're pretty small and focused. So there's not much to test. And really the value is like the integration kind of, of a more of a user flow. And then you're doing something like Selenium or something else where you're having browser where you're actually interacting with a headless browser. And that gets complicated just because you're having to do all of this extra work and, and this extra infrastructure to maintain. And it's extra, and it becomes async and it can have failures. And, you know, oh, we just have to, if that test failed, just rerun it and it'll probably pass this time. You know, I've seen that many times. And then there's another cost. So like there's testing. And like when you talk about testing, like I was talking with Cade, when he started doing some uh, some of the live view tests, and like, what was your experience like doing that, Kate? Because you, like you were doing it from a React perspective, and then you start doing live view and doing tests. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, we've been working with live view for a little while, and I think it's kind of evolved over time. And at some point, Jose started using it when they were doing that project that Dashbit's doing, and he made a bunch of improvements to the testing scenario, this testing scene in live view. And ever since then, it's just awesome. It's so easy to use. And um, the thing that they do there is they just like, rather than introducing a browser, um, they just have all these convenient helpers to you just like, you can just type in render click, 
the test helper will go in and say, okay, so you want to click, you give it a selector and you say, oh, you want to click that button? Well, I'm going to go look at the markup for that button. And I see that when you click it, you're telling it to execute this um, event on the server. So I'm going to call that for you. And I see that you're passing this data as well. So I'm going to pass that for you. And it just kind of wires everything up and it's great. And they don't introduce the browser, which just makes them really fast. They could be concurrent. Um, they don't randomly fail. Um, it's just, it's been a breath of fresh air, I guess you could say for as far as testing goes, it's been a really great experience. Do you know what, what your testing story is when you have hooks though on the JavaScript side? Yeah, they provide a little bit of help around that. So if you, they, I think they have a, something called render hook or something it gets a little more tricky because you don't really know what the JavaScript hook is doing. And so usually I've kind of taken the approach of leaving my hook as absolutely thin as possible. Um, and if it takes any kind of dynamic config, like that I pass it from the server side so that I can test that kind of scenario better. Um, but I think there is like a render hook test function I don't know if I've used it very much, but it does assume that you're giving it a selector that has a hook in the markup. And then when you do that, I think then you can pass it some events, but I don't know. I'd have to go check. So that's a good point though, that, you know, it's not the tests when you're doing live view tests, it's not executing the JavaScript hook. Like if I'm hooking into Alpine JS or the ACE editor or something like that, it's not executing all of that code and seeing that the interaction is behaving correctly. I think it's just saying that I'm expecting this event to come out of the hook. So that is a good point. It's not a full integration in that way, but I, I found it it's, gets me so much closer to being able to test what I feel like is testing the front end without having to, and getting that, that exchange of events without having to model it through a browser. Right. Like if you go back to like your, your form situation, like if, if all you wanted to do is add feedback, if they don't type a valid phone number in like it's it's going to it's going to be a breeze to test that right it's like it's like you said it gets you so close to the end result of what you're wanting to test without having to delve into like full on browser testing yeah so another uh business advantage or value i see is the whole time and investment around the npm build chain you know i've been through many different iterations of webpack to brunch back to Webpack and then changes of web, this version of Webpack to that version of Webpack so that, and I have to do it because Node has been updated and I have to follow that and, and everything's advancing very quickly. And my build chain just keeps breaking. And if I don't have someone who's dedicated and their head is in that space and they can manage that for me, then I'm doing it. And I'm, a, I'm kind of more full stack, right? And it's like, I don't really want to be spending my time there. I'm not that good at it, at <laughs> managing and knowing all of the all, you know, tracking what's changed with Webpack. How do I need to do it? Because that's really not part of my application the way I feel about it. But that's an easy problem to solve. Just never update Node and never <laughs> update your dependencies and never add new dependencies. <laughs> yep. You don't let the product person go out and use the web and say, oh, can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know several apps that, that follow that mantra. <laughs> it's just frozen in time. But I just don't know that people really appreciate, and even even if they're the ones doing it, realize how much time they're doing spending in that, you know, having to do that periodically and just like, oh, it broke. Uh, let me spend, you know, an hour or two hours or, you know, like I'm going to have to work through this change over a couple days, you know, just 
being aware that, yeah, that, that actually is some friction I hit and how much value does that bring me? So that's just, it's a question you can ask yourself. Maybe it's not a big deal at all for you, but so it's just, it's an idea, something to think about. Yeah, that, that intersects a, a bit with your upgrade strategy though. You know, like I, I'm, I, I think of myself as a, a, an Elixir developer. So I, I remember it's that I have Elixir dependencies and I, I, I check out mix hex dot outdated and I see, Oh, okay. Th- these things all have minor or patch updates. I just go ahead and run it. Go, you know, that's, I'm done. And, and most of the time there's no, nothing that I have to, I have to adjust in my application, but the same thing happens on the Elixir side too. Just not, not as, not as bad. So I, I, I tend to forget to do the same thing on under my assets folder, you know, with the web, the webpack ecosystem, the NPM ecosystem. Um, I've been trying to do better about that. And, and I promise you that even though, even though that JavaScript, you know, d- does tend to move quicker with, um, with updates, if you, if you stay on top of it, like you probably do on your Elixir side, um, it's not as painful. And when something does upgrade that you need to make a change for, it's hopefully just that one thing. Like there were, there was a change recently to uh, the CSS extractor in Webpack. And, and so, by the way, if you generate a Phoenix project today, it generates a bunch of this Webpack stuff for you. It gets you off the ground up and running quickly. Um, but, but the generators still have uh, a couple versions back on the CSS extractor. So it's like two point something. Now it's on four point something. <laughs> and so there's, there's one change that I had to make and that was it, but find it. Well, I take about two changes, two changes I had to make. Um, but that was it. You know, I, I, I go to the change log. I see what the changes are. I make the adjustments and I figure it out. Um, it's a point there being make sure that you are upgrading f- small and frequent updates. You get those big yearly updates, man. You're going to hate yourself for it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's some good points. But I do just, I just want to kind of mention some of these ideas because when I think of the situations that I see, I see small teams of Elixir developers who are trying to build a product, bring it to market or iterate on a product that's already in the market. They already have customers. They need to get features out and they're trying to grow. So it's not, I'm not talking about like the, you know, 100, 200 developer shops where you have a dedicated front end team. And, and that makes sense for them. I'm, I guess I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about like a lot of the, the places I've worked and people I interact with where they're smaller shops where, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing a lot more things. You're wearing more hats and not having to spend as much time and effort on the JavaScript, uh, managing the, the build chain, on trying to figure out how to test it, on, you know, switching my mental model from going from an Elixir thing to serialize my data, to get it over to the front end, to unpack it, and now, you know, cache it or whatever I have to do so that I can, you know, hold that data and, and interact with it and then push events back up to the server and then translate those for the network and parse them back on the server. You know, it's like, it's just all these extra layers. It's all this extra yeah. overhead that doesn't actually, in my case, and in these cases I'm talking about, it doesn't add value to the customer. If yeah. I, I could do the same thing with Live View and deliver it faster with fewer layers involved and it's easier to get there, easier to test and the customer benefits because I can deliver something faster to them. So that, I don't know, that's my thought. What do you guys think? 
I'd argue that it's not limited to small teams either, to, to startups at least. Um, maybe small teams is a good way to think about it, but you can have small teams in a large company too. So it, it, ho- hopefully your company doesn't like force you to have all of your UI go through a certain team. That would be a bottleneck, right? And a certain team is probably going to be CSS experts and uh, probably JavaScript adept folks. And if, you're, if your business like, kind of like separates teams out into like little delivery teams, right? Like this, this team is responsible for this part of the application over there or a different application that, that communicates with the main application, for example, like, yeah, like, like life, you still, it it can work out wonderfully in a, in a large company setting. I think it's, yeah, I think it's well suited for it. So if, if you're, if you're working on a team of like three people or so and you, you, you have Elixir expertise or backend expertise, I think live view can, can work you wonders there and uh, get you closer to the front end without having to rely on other teams as much. Not to say you shouldn't collaborate with other teams, but <laughs> it just removes a lot of barriers, which I think is great. What I'm going to say next is going to, I'm just putting words into Chris McCord's mouth. Because he's not talking about this very much, right? And when LiveView first came out, it was announced at ElixirConf, I got super excited. I saw a lot of these potential benefits. At first, when I first heard it, I thought, this doesn't make any sense. And then I figured out like how it could actually work and how it could be benefits. Like, okay, this is, this is a game changer for us in our situation. And I think, just my casual observation, I don't have any inside knowledge, but I think Chris has gotten a lot of pushback as it being presented as, or interpreted as JavaScript hate. And there's a lot of people with a vested interest in not changing at least how their current situation is with the, the current relationship with front end, back end. And I think he just kind of shut up about it. Like that, that's my <laughs> perspective. You know, maybe I'm just totally reading that wrong. But uh, I just want to make sure that people are still hearing it. That like, no, no, this is a really good solution for these situations. And you can get a lot of business value out of it. It's not just like it's cool, shiny tech. It's not just that it's like, hey, this is the, the flashy new thing. It's like, no, there's business value. There, it, This can make a difference to your customers. This can make it so a smaller team can deliver a bigger thing faster. And I just want people to be aware of it and to think about it that way. And I hope, I hope Chris hasn't gotten burned out from like hate on that. <laughs> <laughs> Internet hate burns a lot of folks out. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess my point here is if you haven't been considering Live View, if you've been just kind of dismissing it, thinking, oh, that's a distraction, maybe it isn't right for your situation. Maybe that's appropriate. Maybe your situation says, no, we need a front-end JavaScript single-page app, and that makes the most sense. Maybe you need a native app, and that makes the most sense. But for the for you, dear listener, who's out there and you think, well, maybe that, that could fit. Maybe that could work. I just encourage you to be open-minded about it. Try a little side project just to see, kind of get the idea of how the, the events flow, the workflow, how the mounts work, and, and just kind of get some get a handle on it to see what it can actually do. But I would love to hear your feedback and your thoughts. Did we miss the mark? Is there a point that we're not catching? Let us know at Thinking Elixir on Twitter, and we'd love to hear it. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.